sort of our first year or so at the company when I remember coming in, sitting by my computer and just realizing that, yeah, we have the product running at like 10 companies, but not really getting value. They haven't said we don't need your product anymore, but you can just see that they weren't engaging. That's Elliot, the co-founder of Enamla, former chief growth officer at Instacart. How many founders are afraid to get to that moment, but that is a necessary precursor to that hockey stick moment. So how do they turn things around? Nearly every founder on this show seems to say the same thing. They're obsessed with talking to customers, asking the tough questions, being realistic with where they are. And here's the insight, of course, that they got after doing that. I put out this great machine learning approach. It will just send alerts your way, but it turns out a difficulty just trusting black box machine learning model, right? They kind of wanted to peer inside or wanted to make sure it was focused on particular things that they cared about. So they realized that they needed to go wider to build trust. And of course, it worked. You know, last year, we, the company 10X RARR, are thrilled to work with a lot of great customers like Discover Financial, the folks behind the Discover Credit Card, folks like BuzzFeed, folks like Substack, even companies like Notion. Be intellectually honest, ask the tough questions, keep going, iterate, enjoy, boom. Welcome to Sit Down Startup Founder Podcast. We interview the best founders in the world and ask them what they did in the early days, right before that hockey stick growth moment. I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell, a former founder. I live here in San Francisco and I now work for Zendesk for Startups. Zendesk is a customer support platform and we offer six months free to qualified product-oriented startups. Elliot, welcome to Sit Down Startup Founder Podcast. Super excited to have you here to share your experience as the chief growth officer at Instacart. And of course, the current startup that you're working on that's raised almost $40 million at Enamela. Could you first just tell us what Enamela does and then we'll go go from there? Yeah, absolutely. So Enamelo is a company that does data quality monitoring. One of the things I learned in my career and, and certainly while I was at Instacart and other companies like that is data is becoming essential to running, you know, a modern company, a modern business, a modern product or service. But what often happens and what data teams have to deal with every single day is that the data is wrong. Parts of it are missing or it's incorrect or the assumptions have changed or, or it just didn't arrive today or part of it didn't arrive today. Um, and so data teams today spend a lot of time firefighting these kinds of issues rather than actually trying to use data to make you know their product, their business, their service better. So Anomalo helps these data teams detect these kinds of data issues and root cause them so they can be solved. And we do it in a completely automated way using machine learning so that these issues are detected you know, before anyone else notices. I love the root cause piece you talked about. We can maybe dive into that later, but help us for anyone who doesn't know just how much traction you've had so far in terms of how much you've raised, maybe some of the investors. Yeah, absolutely. So we've raised about $39 million. We have some great investors with Norwest uh, Venture Partners, Foundation Capital, First Round Capital, uh, a bunch of angels in, in the data space, of course, and just tremendous traction since we've raised our last round of funding uh, you know, last year we've 10xed um, the company, 10xed our ARR, our you know annual recurring revenue, and have grown the team tremendously. I think 4x the team, uh, maybe even more than 4x the team since that time, um, and are doing quite well. And are, are thrilled to work with a lot of great customers like Discover Financial, the folks behind the Discover Credit Card, uh, folks like BuzzFeed 
which I'm sure a lot of your listeners know about, folks like Substack uh, that a lot of your listeners probably know about, uh, and, and even companies like Notion, uh, mm. which is kind of another hot later stage startup that's, that's doing really well. Congratulations. So whenever we start the podcast in the past, we've like talked about just the incredible achievement of where the guest is right now or where their company is. We've kind of skipped over some of the lower moments that they had before we jump to like, let's talk about the hockey stick growth that you just had and like what you did. But is there a low moment that you could share that you've had on the journey so far and maybe how you're feeling at that point? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I'm sure anyone who's founded anything knows that there there are lots of low moments. And when myself and my co-founder, Jeremy, founded Anomalo, we were very excited about the problem we were solving, our kind of unique approach using machine learning. And you know what? Our first version of the product didn't work. You know, the technology was great. It was delivering results. You know, we thought it was doing the right things. But, but you could just see as we were going to our network and, and having various companies try it, that it just wasn't working. You know, they were deploying it, they used it a few times, but it wasn't really meeting their needs. They were kind of going quiet and not really engaging with it after a little while. And so there was definitely a low moment during sort of our first year or so at the company when I remember coming in, sitting by my computer and just realizing that, yeah, we have the product running at like 10 companies. They're not really getting value out of it. And, you know, they, they're, they haven't told us that yet. They haven't said, Elliot, Jeremy, we don't need your product anymore. But you can just see that they weren't engaging with it. Um, and kind of having that low moment of being like, man, this thing we built is just not working. <laughs> Got to do something else. That is so painful. I've, I've been there as a founder as well. And, but you had those conversations and now you said you've 10x ARR, a beginning of the great recession, or one, one of the biggest recessions we've had recently. And it's like, something's happened here and you've grown your team while everyone's laying off. So we're all ears, like help, help us with maybe one of the biggest growth like tactics or strategies or insights that you had right around that hockey stick moment in the past year. Yeah. I mean, I think a, a big insight and, and a lot of this, again, for your listeners and other founders, a lot of this just comes to talking to kind of customers and talking to people that you know, might want your product, right, or are using your product and kind of just, just trying to understand what is working and what is not working. And so when we um, uh, developed our first product, you know, we, we kind of thought, well, we have this machine learning approach to detecting all these data issues. That's all you need. Right. We're going to put out this great machine learning approach. It will just send alerts your way. It's going to be great. But it turns out that our customers really wanted to kind of customize what we were looking at. And they also had difficulty just trusting, you know, a black box machine learning model, right? They kind of wanted to peer inside or wanted to make sure it was uh, it was focused on particular things that they cared about, um, and we just didn't build didn't build any of that. You know, we were we had these big gaps um, in the product, and and so that was the big insight that we had. Um, you know, a little bit before our our Series A last year is is this insight of well, we actually need to buy build a fuller product. Right. 
um, that what we've built is not enough. And um, it was actually, uh, you know, part of this was an insight from talking to our customers, but part of it was just, you know, uh, looking at uh, tweets and, and blogs from other folks that have been on a similar journey and have built a SaaS product. And one of the ideas that came out is if you built a pretty narrow product and it's not selling, you know, well, you can go deeper into that narrow niche that you're using, or you can just go live. You can build a full product, a more complete product. Um, and so we decided to go for it and we built a more complete product that had more and different use cases and different approaches for detecting data issues. And it took off. That is very different from um, my experience. I built a company that got to a million ARR and ended up getting killed in another way. Some of the learning of getting to that was that we we first had like the massive do everything product. And then we did like a, the hundred dollar game where we said, okay, we basically have essentially 10 features in the super wide product. We went to our customers or prospects and said, which, how would you allocate a hundred dollars to these 10 different features? And we found that it was like, oh, we put $90 on this one feature and maybe spread the, the $10 around the rest or, or whatever. So it was like, Oh my gosh, we got to go here. But, but you're saying you found the opposite. So uh, is, can you help us on how you got to that point? Cause I, cause you always, every time I talk to customers in the past, like they always say, we want more things. And if you build them all, it seems like you just get a really wide product. So I'm, I'm really curious on like how you got there. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the, the key, thing to remember is is no you no advice is universal right every scenario is different and certainly the more common advice is exactly what you were saying adam to kind of focus right um and but we were just seeing very different dynamics with our customers um because you know our product is meant to be used by the entire data team right and in fact anyone who touches data within an organization should be monitoring the quality of that data, should care about the quality of that data. And so what we were seeing at these customers is that, you know, they wanted to bring on 200 different kinds of people to use our product. Um, and so there wasn't sort of one thing that they wanted. Each of those 200 people actually wanted slightly different things. And the reason that they decided to buy the product when they did is because a big percentage of those 200 people said, this is great. This meets my needs. Right. So I think because we were appealing to this very diverse group of people in the enterprise, you know, we needed to have something for everyone or a little bit of something um, for everyone. Uh, and that's why I think this worked. The other thing that, that I noticed is, you know, when we uh, tried our product with different customers and different data teams, we found that data teams were at different levels of maturity, right? Uh, data teams, kind of the idea of having a data team, a team working with data is relatively new, right? It's, it's a little bit newer than an engineering team or a marketing team or a product management team. And so as you go from company to company, you can actually find that some companies are very mature data teams that have great stack of tools and great processes. And some companies are just in the, in the kind of early going of building a data team. And it turns out the needs of those teams at different maturities are actually pretty different. 
right? The kinds of issues you encounter, the kinds of things that you deal with as a mature data team are very different than the kinds of things that you deal with, the kind of issues you encounter as a new team. And uh, I think that was another reason why we kind of had this insight and why it worked, because we realized that we needed to serve a, a pretty wide band of maturities with our product uh, and kind of grow with those teams over time as they became more mature. Whereas many other products, you know, are facing a more um, a more uniform set of customers, right? A more uniform um, a set of uh, potential clients. I completely get that. That makes a huge challenge. And I, I would have, I feel like how many VCs would have sat across the table and said, Hey, you need to pick one of those maturity levels for those data teams and just work with them and ignore the other maturity levels and just win there and then expand from there. But you're saying we, we wanted to have a product that could take all of them. And then of course it worked. Yeah. I think, uh, again, you hear that advice to kind of narrow and focus all the time. Um, and we, we just didn't feel the need to do that. We felt that we could have a consistent product that would meet the team where they were, right? And kind of grow with them and guide them into what we ultimately, um, you know, wanted uh, to enable them to do. Uh, and so that meant that we didn't have to focus, that in fact, the right decision was to actually go pretty wide. Wow. Wow. I, I love that. That is my biggest takeaway here is like, we, we know this, but like no advice is universal just reminding ourselves of that and like trusting your gut in a lot of ways when the VCs or people who've done it before, because that's the most confusing thing to me is like when you're listening to founders who've, who are at the billion dollar level already, and they're saying, this is what you need to do. This is what I did. And it worked. But then saying that's not right for this time and place because the environment has changed or, or our customers are unique in this way. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think of any piece of advice that I get as an experiment I want to try. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and if you view it like that, right, when you try experiments, if you're a scientist or you're, you know, running growth, right, or doing product work or what have you. When you're running an experiment, it might succeed, it might fail. That's okay. That's why you're running it. You're going to learn from it. And, and so I kind of treat advice in the same way as an interesting idea to try. That's amazing. Well, you mentioned talking to customers. Um, and I, I always, this has been a podcast where we talk to unicorn founders and, and founders, you know, around that level. And the whole time we've never focused like just tell me about customer experience this is like we want to know the founder first what you did but it's ironic to me how like the best founders that i've talked to in the past year are all mentioning just like how obsessed they are with the customer so could you help me understand like how you structure your week or maybe during that time when you were really doing this research or maybe you still are around talking to customers like maybe it's as a percentage or maybe it's like you do two-hour blocks anything to kind of help the founders out there that need to do the same? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll mention a few things. One is, of course, in the early days, and talking to your customers is essential because in truth is you don't really know what you're doing. No matter how great your idea is as a founder, that idea has to be refined by what, by what people actually want to buy and how they actually want to use your product. And so if you don't have a great feedback loop with customers where you're kind of regularly understanding what their needs are, what their issues are, um, you know, you're, you're not going to build a successful product uh, 
That's just true. And, you know, for consumer products, by the way, it doesn't just have to be talking to customers. You can use data very effectively uh, to get that kind of feedback. Right? Are, are people using this new feature? Are they buying more, buying less, whatever it is? But for enterprise products or B2B products like an Omlo, uh, you know, typically the kind of number of customers is smaller, right? And their needs are more complex and more detailed. So talking to them is really the only way that you can structure that feedback loop. And so we, we recognized this in the earliest days. And so we did a few things that might be helpful to founders listening. One is we tried to set up a shared Slack channel with every customer. Right. Uh, probably everyone knows about Slack. Many people may not realize that in Slack, you can create shared channels that are shared between companies where or two companies join that same Slack channel. And so we tried to do that with every single customer so that the moment they had a question or a piece of feedback or something wasn't working, they didn't have to wait for a meeting with us. They didn't have to send us an email or pick up the phone, whatever it is, or wait for us to reach out. They could just post in Slack, which is kind of the easiest thing, right, in the world. Probably folks that use Slack at work, you're posting to it, you know, 100 times a day, right? They could just do that. And so we found that was amazing as a way of kind of getting that feedback quickly. Um, and then the other thing we did uh, in the early days, and we still do that today, uh, every single customer has some structure, is we also set up office hours with our customers that were just these regular, typically weekly meetings where we would just get on Zoom with them. And we said, hey, how is it going? Are you, you know, what are you trying to do with Anomalo? What's working? What's not working? You know, completely free form. They can come with any question, any piece of feedback. Uh, and they just knew that we were there to listen and help them with their problems and weren't trying to sell them anything or, or convince them of anything. We were just there to kind of take whatever questions and whatever feedback they had. Mm -hmm. um, and, and those two mechanisms, I mean, we still leverage them today, uh, you know, to maintain feedback uh, with customers and, and make sure we're, we're helping them be, be successful in using our product. I love it. It's not rocket science. You're, and you're able to do it more at scale with those channels as well. That's super helpful. Well, just in the final kind of closing questions here, I want to ask a silly question, but it's, it's just fun to, to learn. And what, what, and I didn't tell you this ahead of time for all the listeners. So he, he's, he's, you're on the spot here, but what um, did you want to be when you were a little kid, when you grew up? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. Uh, I don't know. I, I might be giving you a real cliche answer as far as Silicon Valley is concerned, but it's true. I really wanted to be Bill Gates <laughs> when I grew up. Uh, I kind of discovered computers when I was 10, and I was just really amazed at what computers can do. Um, and so folks like Bill Gates that were, you know, building software and, and putting applications out in the world and, and making computers useful uh, for us were, were really the heroes um, that I had. And so I wanted to be like that. I, I love that authentic answer. And I completely get that. I definitely had a season where I wanted that as well, but I, lo I love it. And finally, what is your superpower? Would you say as a founder? Yeah, I, I would say that my superpower is I'm a, I'm a creative problem solver um, is how I would describe it. So 
uh, I tend to be really great at kind of synthesizing what's going on, data, feedback, insights, uh, to generate a bunch of directions, a bunch of kind of creative directions for solving a problem or moving forward or achieving some goal. Um, and I kind of do that every single day and, uh, and, and try to solve problems creatively every single day because it's fun for me and it's something I think I do pretty well. That is so fun. It's so easy to get stuck in the box and say, well, we can only solve it within this box. And, and you're saying like breaking through that and looking at everything around it and just like, how can we get there? Here's where we're trying to go. Yeah. So simple at the end of the day, it's, uh, that's, this has been amazing. It's uh, one of my favorite interviews so far. I just appreciate your, your brevity and your, your depth and just the passion for what you're building. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about Zendesk for startups, check out our website, zendesk.com slash startups. Also, we're always looking to improve. So don't hesitate to email me with any feedback on how we can ask better questions, guess the target, or anything else so we can do to better help you as a founder. My email is adam.odonnell at zendesk.com.